back to G5 Football Daily, your audio accompaniment to our coverage of the Group of Five on uh, Fan Nation Network. Uh, Joe Londrigan here with you, as always, excited to talk with you. Uh, we're going to have uh, a few different fun segments, uh, doing, getting into some draft stuff uh, with Jack Daly of FIU. And of course, uh, you've heard him on here plenty of times, but uh, Eric Henry, 247 Sports and Horns 247, talking about uh, some G5 coaches and uh, some other fun things as well. Um, you'll hear him on the next uh, few episodes as we just kind of uh, get through this offseason that's finally upon us, Eric. It, it seemed like the season was dragging on a little bit. And now that we're in like middle of January, it kind of feels like it hasn't stopped with the giant influx of news that we keep getting every day. Thank you, Joe, for having me on as a guest on this podcast. Thank you to the folks at 24 seven sports for allowing me to appear on this podcast regularly. Listen, you want to talk about the season dragging out. You're talking about someone who Joe, how about this? Try this one on for size. Um, I attended the third. If we're talking about just in order of operations, the third college football game of the season in week zero, which was FIU at Louisiana Tech in August. And um, covering the horns made it one week shy of the final week of the season. So you want to talk about dragging on. I mean, it, it, it was one that there were definitely moments during the year that it felt like, man, listen, we love college football. Those of us who get to, who are privileged enough to, to work and make a living and get a check in this space. We love college football. But there are absolutely moments when you, you understand you've got to be watching games from sun up to sundown, uh, the midweek games, you know, press conferences, taping podcasts, all those things that you, you just, you know, Joe's a married man. I'm sure his wife would like to see him from time to time. You know, I, I, I while I'm not married, like I'd like to see my apartment from time to sure. time. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, they can absolutely attest that. Listen, sometimes the season is, is, is it's long, but. We are right. officially here in the offseason, sir. Right. But, I mean, one of the big things that's keeping us and just about everybody else busy is this uh, windfall that's happened as a result of Nick Saban retiring from uh, Alabama. And, obviously, that led to Kalen DeBoer replacing him, which led to Jed Fish replacing Kalen DeBoer, which led to Brent Brennan leaving San Jose State. <laughs> um and there's been a few other uh, significant changes in the uh, G5 landscape as a result, uh, namely University of Buffalo head coach Maurice Linguist is joining the Alabama staff as an assistant. And then, of course, uh, South Alabama head coach Kane Womack uh, set to join as a as the defensive coordinator, I should say. So it's crazy to once again just kind of see the impact that these have. Um, I, I, on the note of the G5 teams that are affected by this and where they go from here, it's just bizarre because once you think the coaching carousel has stopped spinning, they have to go back into the pool and find names to, you know, basically keep their momentum on track with like the signing or the early signing period anyway, already completed national signing day coming up in about five weeks or so. And I mean, I'm sure it, there's been another instance of this, but I'm having trouble remembering another instance where this all happened like so late, if that makes sense. Um, or at least at this point in time where like we've already passed the window where coaches who underperformed were relieved of their duties and they were replaced and they filled out their staffs. And now this happened and the whole cycle is going to just begin again. And as a result, the transfer portal is going to keep giving and taking and all that, which is just, it's just wild. So I don't know any initial observations on what we've seen the last uh, week or so with the result of uh, coach Saban <laughs> finding a, a more fun way of life somewhere. I would assume. 
Uh, that's one way of putting it. No, Joe, it's a really good point you raised there. I think, and listen, I don't want to just keep hammering the NCAA and saying that, you know, that they're behind the times as far as keeping up with things in college football, but this is an example, right? If you're, if you're a program, whether it's G5, P5, et cetera, um, there are a lot of things. And listen, I, I will say this. I think the NCAA got it right by allowing kids a 30 day window. Should their coach leave to hit the portal? Right. But it, it just broad scope, you're taking the 10,000 foot view, Joe. I just think that you got to understand how, you know, the ramifications are going to take a factor here. And sure, no one could have factored in Nick Saban retiring, but you talked about the timeline. Well, I don't think it's that out of the ordinary as far as the timing and that the college football season had just ended, you know, what, a week and change ago. Um, so there were games that were just being played. And as a result, I mean, Alabama was a team who qualified for the final four. So in that respect, Joe, I look at it and it's like, hey, maybe, you know, you should take a look at things as far as the calendar and just really kind of consider, listen, if coaches are you know, going to retire and the season's ending at a, a, a period X, Y, or Z, you're going to have a trickle-down effect. And you see a lot of these schools being affected, coaches re-upping for raises and Coaches going to new jobs, you know, group of five coaches being affected. And we'll take, you know, I, Joe, I think you and I will take the group of five um, specific aspect of this in a second. But yeah, man, it's just a big trickle down effect. I mean, I'll even give you an example here at Texas. Hopefully the bosses don't get too mad at me for, you know, taking 30 seconds to use this example. But Texas was part of those teams, was one of those teams that was in the final four. Defensive line coach Bo Davis ends up leaving his role for LSU in the off season, um, you know, shortly after about a, two of 10, 12 days after Texas season ends. Then he got a player of pretty premier recruit, four-star recruit ends up wanting out of his letter of intent. Right. I mean, they're just always going to be these trickle down effects. And in my mind, I think the NCAA just has to kind of find a way again, the NCAA can't account for coaches leaving or coaches retiring, but you got to stick maybe a little bit truer to these windows because now I wonder in my mind, right? If you are, say, a Washington or, you know, like, again, we can get into the group of five aspect in a second, but like in Arizona, right? You know, coaches are going to come in and with the portal, they're going to have some scholarships to move. They're going to have some guys who just say, I, this is not the coach I want to play for. Or, you know, they're going to bring in some of their own guys. Um, and it's just, it is a lot of roster movement. When you take a look at the NFL, Joe, I can only imagine how it would work there, or even just professional sports in general. If you more or less had 60, 70% of the offseason in which you can just have your, your entire program, entire team just shuffled. So that's kind of my initial take on it. And again, I know we can probably dive into the group of five specific aspect of it. Um, and, and I maybe again, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to lead you, Joe, but what I think is very interesting. We see it all the time where players follow coaches to their next stop, right? I mean, we'll probably see some of that with Washington, Kalen DeBoer, some of his players going from Washington to Alabama. I think if we start seeing this trend, Joe, and it is a recent trend, I don't want us to act like it's, you know, it could be a blip, but it's a recent trend of group of five coaches being picked off for high profile G5 assistants. That's even a bigger below to group of five schools that are already competing with the transfer portal already competing with NIL already have a hard time not being quote unquote, that feeder system for power five schools as is 
that to me is something else I think we got to keep an eye on. So again, I don't want to lead you in any sense, but just had to get that thought out there as we, you know, we kind of look at it from the group of five specific aspect uh, next. It's not for the faint of heart, for sure. I mean, that was a big reason that um, Jerry Kill cited for deciding to retire um, in the last six weeks or so of just not really having the energy to kind of keep up with the multitude of changes um, to college football, namely the transfer portal, NIL, that sort of stuff, um, since he's taken the job. I would assume that factored into things with uh, Saban as well. Like if you don't have to continue to keep up with everything that goes into that, then, you know, by all means, right off into the sunset. But on the group of five side, Eric, I wanted to kind of just briefly talk about um, some thoughts that could replace uh, some people rather that could replace it. In particular, Kane Womack coming off a really successful season with South Alabama. And then in the second, Brennan at San Jose State. For the Jaguars, I think the most likely candidate is Major Applewhite, right? The offensive coordinator right. just kind of gets bumped into that. Um, at AL.com, Craig Stevenson, who, who's always done a pretty good job following that program, uh, threw out uh, former Mississippi State head coach Zach Arnett as one, which I, I kind of get, but I think it's a little bit more of a long shot, frankly. I think you want someone who's more familiar with the challenges of a G5 program. Uh, Bill Clark was kind of thrown out there too. Again, I don't know if Bill Clark's ready to, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't, it's been a long time since we've heard from, from coach Clark. I, I'm sure he's finding ways to enjoy his uh, retirement from coaching, but you know, I, I could see him being a, a good fit there. So I don't know. Any anybody else uh, strike you as kind of a dark horse candidate for that job? Maybe at South Alabama? No, I mean it, it's kind of tough in, in my mind, just because I, I think you you talked about it, Joe. If you're going to take that job, you have to be familiar with the nuances and challenges of Group of Five football. That's one, two. I think you got to have deep ties in, in that area. We saw what Bill Clark did, right? You know, I, I, I being there, you know, um, a uh, Alabama native. Of course, took over. Where's Bill Clark from Aniston, if memory serves me correct, Joe? You know off the top of your head? That sounds right. Yeah, I think Bill Clark's from Aniston. Um, Coached at Spanish Fort back in the day, I believe. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, just double-checking really quick. But yeah, Bill Clark is from, yep, Aniston and did coach at uh, at Spanish Fort. Um, nevertheless, yeah, I, I think you got to have some familiarity with Alabama, uh, especially in the Group of Five landscape. But South Alabama's a nice job. I mean, listen, um, what is the name of that new stadium, Joe? It's no longer uh, Hancock-Whitney. I think it's Prath something but nevertheless they have a brand new roughly brand new stadium uh there that i i think um is certainly a big bargaining chip and the fact that you know you're coming off a, a measure of success so i it, i do think that helps uh yeah hancock whitney replaced um lad people stadium the, the old side of the uh the old senior bowl the Reese senior bowl lad peoples was <laughs> uh, uh it had charm joe we'll leave it to you that way it had charm and <laughs> never nevertheless um it's an intriguing job but no as far as as far as other candidates i i think the home run hire in my mind is is major applewhite it's the one that i think keeps things on track and uh probably the one i mean uh, if if there wasn't if brian vincent hadn't already uh been employed that would have been a route i've gone but i, I can't think yeah. of another you know under the radar name yeah, I can see that. Mobile's a good little uh, good little city, too. I, I can see why that would be an attractive job for um, someone looking to get back in the head coaching game or just uh, get their, their feet wet um, in that regard for the first time. Speaking of interesting cities, San Jose State always been kind of a, a tough place to win, for sure, and just a, a tough 
market to get people interested in college football, which is why uh, Brent Brennan, you know, he sticks out so much is because he he did such a good job with not a whole lot. Um, and keep in mind, he won a Mountain West championship there in 2020. So the fact that he was able to get this program to where he got it with not a whole lot of help, um, that's just, I mean, it's impressive. But he's off to Arizona now. Um, and as far as people to replace him um, for the Mercury News out in the Bay, Nathan Canelau had a, an interesting list of potential candidates to replace him. Uh, seems to think it makes the most sense to go with an internal hire uh, Alonzo Carter, uh, potentially their current, uh, he's currently their running backs coach, um, has a lot of ties to the Bay area in terms of recruiting. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Derek Odom, their defensive coordinator, um, could certainly find, uh, find something, uh, for him to do there. Um, he came from Oregon state with Brendan in 2017, uh, so has a lot of, uh, you know, again, more California recruiting experience that certainly helps. Brendan Marion's another one I think is interesting. I think it's only a matter of time before he gets a head coaching job based on what he's done at UNLV. Um, and then also Jason Eck at Idaho. He's done some awesome things with that FCS program there uh, in Moscow. Um, and he's fairly young. He's only 46. So I can definitely see uh, his career trajectory taking him to a place like San Jose State. So I don't know. Thoughts on that list? Thoughts on other people that uh, could potentially find their way into a role with the Spartans? Oh, Joe, as you've been talking, I've been frantically trying to send you a link because I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not. Are you familiar with the fact that Alonzo Carter was uh, a backup dancer for MC Hammer? Yes or no? I, I'm vaguely remembering that now. Um, your link just came through. So now I'm I'm looking at the <laughs> photos of him dancing at practice. That's that's delightful. That's funny. Yeah. While, while, while you're looking at that, I will pick it back up. Listen, Joe, I, right before you even said the name. I feel, and we can get into a, a broad discussion another time as far as, you know, um, uh, minority candidates at, at getting FBS jobs. You know, Willie Simmons is a guy who's obviously passed over quite a few times. We saw him have to, you know, now take a, a position coach role. I think Alonzo Carter, not just because of minority, he's been there a long time, has tremendous ties. And I guess for the audience who may not know, when we talk about him being a backup dancer to MC Hammer, you know, this is a guy who was in the Bay Area since, what, the late 80s, early 90s, whenever the, the Hammer era was, right there in Oakland, San Francisco, San Jose. So, yeah, I, I think he would be the guy. I th I, Brennan Marin's an interesting name. I'm not sure if he's ready just yet to be a head coach. Obviously, has experience, was here at Texas prior as a receivers coach, now uh, offensive corner at UNLV, did a great job there. I, I could see him getting a little bit more seasoning under Barry Odom in my mind, but then again, we've seen people get hired, you know, with less experience. I wouldn't be mad at, at, at Brennan Marin. He's a guy who, um, you know, is a West Coast guy, so certainly has those ties. But no, I, I, listen, I, I think the home run hire for San Jose State is absolutely Alonzo Carter. We'll see if they follow through on that. But there's going to be a lot more windfall from this uh, this decision in Tuscaloosa. And um, we're just going to continue to see more uh, weird jobs open up. Speaking of one uh, one position that uh, did get filled out that I don't think we've had a chance to talk about too much, Drew Chronic. He is replacing Grant Chestnut at the Naval Academy as the offensive coordinator. Did some uh, did some fun stuff as the head coach of Mercer in the FCS. Uh, runs kind of these old school uh, wing T concepts. Uh, he's introduced a lot of passing stuff into it, which I thought was funny uh, when he referred to it as the sling T. When I uh, when I chatted with him a couple of weeks ago, um, so I think something like that could fit well with 
what Navy's trying to do from a personnel standpoint. And now in year two under Brian Newberry, if they can, you know, get themselves up to speed by bringing in some of these guys with the, I don't know, just a little more acceleration. I think that's the biggest thing that's actually missing from Navy. And, and if they get the right guys, then an offense like this can, I think, get them back into at least contending for like a postseason spot. No, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, I just think more than anything else, we know the service academies and, you know, under time with uh, Ken, uh, Coach Ken there. Of course, I was going to butcher his last name. You, you and Emily do it so much better than I do. Nevertheless, it's a very specific offense, but it's still one you have to have dynamic playmakers, right? Kind of guys who are stars in their roles, for lack of a better phrase. So I do think that hire there does kind of allow them. If they can just kind of jumpstart things a little bit offensively. I think, Joe, people tend to misinterpret um, some of those, again, the, the offenses that the service academies run as far as, you know, um, things like the veer and the option and, and flexible and wishbone, et cetera. Um, those, those power run games, um, but things they're first off, they're really creative. I mean, they are very creative offenses, but secondly, it's not just like a plug and play. I mean, sure. You, you don't necessarily need a, uh, you know, um, uh, Jalen Milrow at quarterback per se, although Jalen Milrow might be a hell of a, <laughs> hell of a hand there in that running that system, but you don't need like a Cam Newton physical specimen at quarterback. Right. But you still need guys who are very specific stars in their roles and really solid athletic talents. So interested to see how uh, things can get spruced up there. Uh, maybe. Do you think there's an alternate universe out there where Cam Newton did play at the Naval Academy? Um, listen, I, I don't want to, you know, shame Cam, but the same dude who, you know, toss a laptop uh, out of the dorm room at Good Florida. So uh, I, I honestly know if that's going to be the case. <laughs> doesn't doesn't strike you as uh, seal behavior? <laughs> <laughs> not, not at that age, no. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think we all would have fit into that category at that age. For our next segment, we're going to turn it over to our contributor, Kevin Burrell, who's sitting with FIU defensive tackle, Jack Daly. Alrighty, we are here with Jack Daly, now former FIU Panther, also spent time with Bryant. Jack, thank you for the time. You just participated in the Hula Bowl. Take us through that whole experience leading up to the game itself. Um, it was it was definitely an incredible experience. I, uh, um, I kind of found out late, kind of got one of those late invites, um, so that was something I wasn't necessarily expecting, but um, definitely blessed to, to receive that invite. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was just a nice week of like practices, um, just learning from old NFL coaches. Cause that was like kind of the staffs we had um, and just meeting like new people and, and learning stuff from, from my peers. What's the biggest thing you took away from that week leading up to the game? I think I just took away just like, um, you know, playing against like a lot better players um, than I really had seen most of the year at FIU. Um, and at my time at Bryant, it was just like the little things you got to do right um, in order to be successful, like little techniques and um, just, you know, like your form and everything you do um, in terms of like how you play the game. You can't really, uh, you can't really like freestyle or, or do your own thing um, as much as you might like to. Uh, you, you you have to really like play within the defense and and play like how your coaches are teaching you how to play um, in order to be successful. So I think I think just taking away like um, you know learning learning new techniques, learning new ways to you know like rush the passer and um, get off double teams was was definitely interesting and 
it was nice to, you know, put those into play for the, for that uh, week that I had there. Um, so yeah, just, just getting better overall as a player um, was definitely something I take away from it. Did you speak to any scouts during that time? And if so, kind of what did they tell you maybe to help you out or something that they liked seeing about you as you were practicing or even in the game itself? Yeah, no, they just like my, uh, they just like my size overall, mostly. Um, and they just want to see me like kind of improve, um, my, uh, like lower flexibility, um, just like kind of like my bend and, um, hand usage. Um, I didn't, I didn't get to talk to a lot of them, but it was, uh, the ones I did, uh, you know, like kind of like interact with, I guess. Um, that was mostly, mostly what I was hearing. Take us through your season at FIU. You go to Bryant. You go to you go from the FCS to FBS level. What was the biggest transition for you then? And then your just overall assessment of the season. I'll, you know, disappointing four and eight year, but you guys got off to a great three and one start. Yeah, I guess uh, coming FCS to FBS, um, it was definitely definitely a jump in in the speed of the game, like speed of the game, and um, just the size overall of like the players that I was like playing with and going against um but it was awesome I, I loved every second of it um in terms of the season uh yeah it was definitely a disappointing four and eight like we started off three and one we really should have been four and oh to start the season and i felt like we just gave a couple games away that we definitely should have won like we definitely should have been a bowl team in my opinion like a bowl eligible team was, i feel like there's no reason we didn't you know, pulled together and went at least six games, but, um, you know, those are all like ifs and we didn't, we didn't get it done as a team at the end of the day. So, uh, it's, it's definitely upsetting. You know, that would be my one FBS season and, um, at the FCS level, I didn't get to play in the playoffs. So I didn't get any postseason play really in my entire career, which I was a little upset about, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think as a, as a team, you know, like we just, I felt like we never really, uh, I feel like we never really clicked. Like either it would be like a bad first quarter, or um, you know the offense was playing well, the defense wasn't playing well, the defense was playing well, the offense wasn't playing well. I thought it was just like a combination of those things, and um, you know we had a couple unfortunate things go our way. Like we had some momentum against uh, Jacksonville State We're coming back in that game, we get a bad call. Yeah. Um, so that's I mean stuff like that. You know what I mean like. Um, we have like momentum in the Arkansas game and then, you know, a couple of bad things happen and all of a sudden that game's out of hand. So, um, I feel like, you know, if we play a lot of those teams, uh, I'm not going to say every team, but if we play a lot of those teams again that season, like we, we turn it around and we beat them. And I feel like there's no reason we couldn't have seven or eight wins this past year. But again, it was, it was an awesome experience for me. Um, you know, being, uh, like a kid from Connecticut, like I feel like a lot of guys, from around my area that, you know, stay in the public school system for their high school career, don't get to experience, like most don't get to experience FBS football. So um, that was, that was an awesome uh, experience for me and journey. And, you know, I met a lot of new, new people who I can call like brothers for life. And, you know, I'm very thankful for my coaches and, and all that. And um, just like the FBS experience, like, you know, even, even you, like we don't have, at FCS, there's no like reporters or writers really about the team or anything like that. It's just like a, you know, like a paper will write about us or something like at the end of the year. Like there's no like individual um, people who are covering us and like, you know, kind of like interviewing and all that stuff. So 
it's just like a, it's a nice like jump up and it, it's i feel like it's a recognition of all the guys at that level um at the fps level who are you know get to that level and, and i feel like they deserve you know what i mean some some recognition that you guys are able to provide yeah for sure i mean what do you say that from your fcs time to fbs you kind of set yourself up to a good point where you believe that you'll get selected in the nfl draft even if it's towards the end of the draft yeah i mean i I feel like I, I put a I put a good body of work out there. I feel like I had uh, I I definitely flashed it sometimes, and um, I feel like I got better throughout my whole career um, in order to, you know, potentially be selected or you know be an undrafted free agent. Um, again, that's all. That's all. Um, I'm, it's kind of out of my control at this point, other than like my pro day and, and doing good in interviews and stuff like that. Um, so I'm not really too worried about you know if I get selected or if I get undrafted free agent, I just, I just want an opportunity, like a real opportunity to, uh, to make a team and, and continue my career. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's all up to God and I just hope that, you know, I can get a real opportunity. What's the, what's the preparation been like for you? I mean, even before the hula bowl, we saw that you were doing some, some preparation for the draft. What's that been like? And what's the biggest thing you've taken away from that prep? Yes, sir. Uh, no. So I went to right after, I graduated like about a week after the season and uh, I was able to, um, you know, sign with my agent. And then I, um, he, he decided, uh, we, we both kind of decided that the best spot for me was a place in Orlando. So that's where I've been uh, since, you know, December, early December. Um, uh, a place called De La Cruz Sports Performance. It's just like a, one of those like, pro day training places and it's like a gym and they train like all kind of like professional athletes there. Um, but it's been, it's been great. Like it's been, it's been a really good time. Like I'm staying in the hotel uh, right by the the gym. So it's not like a, a far commute to it at all. They just walk down the street. Um, and I guess the, the, the biggest thing I've learned is just like eating habits um, like I kind of, I kind of knew about like eating and I feel like it's talked about a little bit in college, not a lot, but like once I started like really eating right, I feel like I, I changed my body in a positive way and like, you know, losing a lot of, uh, like fat and putting on muscles is huge. And I was, I've been able to do that, um, a good amount, which just helps you get faster, stronger, all that. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing for me is just like seeing the results of eating healthy and, you know, taking, um, you know, the proper routines every day of like sleeping well and doing all the things like, you know, you kind of, I feel like hear about, but like once you really apply them to your life, you see the, uh, you see the results. Now, if it isn't the NFL for you, do you still look at the other leagues that I know they're doing that XFL, USFL type merge there? You're looking at that as a possibility as well? Yeah. I'm just trying to keep the, the main thing, the main thing right now, to be honest with you, and just like focus on, you know, my NFL journey. And then, uh, you know, if that, if that is the end result, I feel like we'll, uh, me and my agent will decide like what, what the best move is from there. I have to ask you, cause Michael Vick always puts a lot of hype for you on Twitter. So, so I got to <laughs> ask you, have you, have you spoken to Michael Vick? And if so, how cool is it to see someone like him give not only you love, but a lot of the college football, a lot of college football players, especially at FIU love. Yeah, no, uh, Michael Vick's obviously a, a great, a great man. He's, uh, he's pretty busy a lot of the time. So I, unfortunately I didn't, I don't really get to directly talk to him, but I have like, you know, DM'd him and stuff like that. Um, and talked like over, 
over text. And uh, he's just a big – he's a big FIU fan. Um, like, before I got there, um, he's just, you know, obviously an, a, a football icon, legend, celebrity, all that stuff. So it's, like, really cool, like, to see that, you know, he gives his time to, uh, you know, reach out to not only me but other FIU guys and other college athletes and um, just uh, – you know, like show love really. Um, See, so yeah, I, I never really directly talked to him, but he's DM me and just encouraged me and, and just say he's rooting for me and all that stuff. So like, he's, he's a big FIU fan. He's a big, uh, big, obviously football fan being, being the legend that he is. So um, definitely very appreciative and, and thankful that he's uh kind of following my career here and, and uh, supporting me. Last question here before we wrap up. What are the next steps for you now in the process? I know you mentioned the pro day. Is that going to be here at FIU? And if so, uh, what day would that be for you? Yes, sir. I, I believe this is not like in in, in set in Sandia. I believe it's March 18th. Um, and I will be I will be doing the one at FIU. Um, and you know, the leading up to that is just more pro day training. So it's I guess two months now, like almost two months on the dot of uh you know, just running, lifting, um, eating right, you know, uh, getting my body in, in the best possible um, spot to where I could, you know, put up the most 225 reps I can, run the best 40 I can, do the vertical, all that stuff. Um, it's just like what I'm training on right now and just little in, in intricacies every day of uh, like form and, um, you know, like maybe one day it'll be like, uh, like just working on my conditioning for, for like the bench and stuff like that. So it's just um just training up until that point. And then I believe it'll be March 18th. I'm not hundred percent certain on that. Um, but that's yeah, those are the next steps leading up to that. All right, Jack. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Uh wish you the best of luck going to the draft and any and, and your future as well. Thank you, Kevin. As far as some other stuff uh, that's going on in college football, Eric, we uh, are right in the middle of the college all-star circuit, I guess. we got the Senior Bowl coming up. Hula Bowl just finished up. Um, and then we also got the Shrine Bowl. I believe those are the three right now. But I don't know. I, I guess before I get into my whole spiel, I would love to know what your take is. If there's anything about the current state of the uh, college all-star circuit that goes on right now in this January to February range that you would change that I would change. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I mean, I've probably covered, I've covered East West. I have covered the tropical bowl. I have, I don't think the only one I haven't covered is, is the senior bowl. Um, I think they do a fair job, Joe. Well, hang on. Let me say this. Um, and I, I, I don't know the calendar right now, I remember when I was covering FIU, there were some guys who had to choose between the the um, Tropical Bowl and East-West, and then also some guys who were trying to get into them. Um, shout out to our guy, Mike Riddleman. Um, Mike does a great job running the uh, college uh, – what's the name here really quick? The – uh, CGS All-Star, so it's the College Gridiron Showcase, which is another cool one where it just uh, it happens down in Texas and Fort Worth, and it, it's it's um you know athletes who if their agents can pay you know pay a certain fee, they get to go in there and get spotlighted and, and kind of go through the combine process. But there was a weird overlap in the calendar, 
that I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, I'm not sure if that's been amended. I remember a guy like Stanley Thomas Oliver, who was with Carolina this year. I think he got picked up by another team, but Stan was with FIU, spent uh, spot probably four or five years now in the NFL. Good for Stan. It's been this long. Um, but he got the call up from the Tropical Bowl, played in the Tropical Bowl week, and then literally the next day, Joe, if memory serves me correct, or might have been 36 hours, went right over to um, from Orlando to St. Pete and part partook in the um, East-West um, game. So I guess what I'm getting at, Joe, is I feel like the calendar could be a little bit better. Um, but outside of that, there's nothing else that, that that's really standing out to me. Um, that I'd say could be done better. Um, what uh, what what jumps out to you? Maybe if you mention something, that will kind of jog my brain a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think the major thing for me is, I guess, twofold. I think the Senior Bowl is the exception. I, I think the organizing committee there do a really nice job of understanding why those games are fun to watch, why they're a fun thing for the city, and also understanding why just draft people and overall just, you know, people who care about what they're getting as NFL fans when these guys inevitably get drafted or signed or whatever. I, I think they do a good job of just lining up all those elements well. Um like with the Senior Bowl, for example, I, I think they do a nice job of just like it just making, you know, stuff like rosters available and like keeping the focus on the players, right? And just having things like stats available. Like I watched the Hula Bowl this past week and some great football was played, but like the broadcast was just so focused on like, here's what we did at our celebrity golf tournament last week. Like no, nobody cares. Nobody cares. So like, I would like to see the rest of the games focus more on the players and not on the, not on themselves, like on the company that puts it on. Because like at a certain point you have to have the self-awareness to know why people are actually enjoying your product. <laughs> Um, well, and based on what we saw from the Hula Bowl this year, I think they've lost that a little bit. Joe, I think that's twofold. Um, a, outside of the Senior Bowl, let's call a spade a spade. Um, Shriners, if memory serves, well, if memory serves correct, East West Shrine game, dummy. Um, you know, obviously sponsor that, right? But some of these things cost money to get put on. And I'm not saying that you don't know that, but... Right. I, you know, there's a give and take in that regard in my mind where, where I, I, I do think it could be better. You talk about this, the actual aspect of and I'm asking here, this is a genuine question. Yeah. If we're looking at a breakdown of people who watch the all star games. Yeah. Percentage wise, what percentage of people do you think are people like us who work in college sports, uh, work in and around college sports and are kind of looking for specific um statistics and breakdowns and whatnot and how many people you think are just watching because like it's just another football game on and i and i, I need my football fix and i i only ask you that and again i this is not rhetorical I, i'm gonna you know allow you to answer but i i i think i think the average viewer could care less how many passes john rice Plumley threw in the hula bowl um i think they're just looking for something to scratch that itch until spring camp opens Okay. Um, well, to answer the first part of your question, I, I think with stuff like, you know, the Senior Bowl, the Hula Bowl, I think it shifts heavily towards people like us who are trying to get data to, you know, do stuff like this and that sort of thing. 
But also, I mean, I think that's sort of why people like this. I also think there's a lot of hobbyists who just enjoy that aspect of it. And yeah, they enjoy the fact that there's football on and there's an actual like good product to enjoy in terms of both these teams just putting good players out there, but still, right? I mean, I, in my opinion, I disagree with the fact that there's not as many people out there that care about that aspect of it, like the stats and that sort of thing. I, th- I guess that's that's where the disconnect is. No, sure. Listen, it, it's rare that you and I disagree, but you know it happens occasionally. In the how many years we've we've been a work couple, so no, I, I guess while while I completely understand your POV, and I think uh, I I wonder if I've suddenly become bougie Joe, and maybe when I was covering Cooper Five football full time, I'd be like, damn it, I'm trying to know a player X had for stats, so I can you know keep an eye yeah. on them. Um, maybe because you know those things, I I don't have those struggles anymore. Maybe I'd feel differently. So who knows? But sure, it, it, I think I think both are fair points. Sure, but like even like rosters, like the Hula Bowl didn't even have rosters, and like when they the guys do that, you know that that cool tradition of like they wear the crazy helmets that they slap all the stickers from their buddies' teams on and that sort of thing. Um, and then honestly, a lot of those guys just kind of end up wearing whatever number jersey they can find it's kind of hard to like get a sense of like who's who, unless sure. some guys have the name on the back for some reason. And, you know, just certain guys like, like John Reese Plumley, for example, like you just, you know who John Reese Plumley is because he's the quarterback. Right. And he has a very certain style of play, but some of these smaller school guys, I was like, who, you know, I didn't get to watch a lot of D2 football this year. And there were a couple of D2 guys and I'm like, no idea who that is. And couldn't pick him out of the lineup, right? Like, I guess that's that's what's frustrating. And I think it, no, it I, would listen, add I, to I the overall product if they did those things. Yeah, I think roster should be a bare minimum. So I agree with you there for sure. We've covered a lot of topics uh, in this little uh, session here. You'll you'll hear bits and pieces of it over the next uh, few weeks as we get closer to the draft. Uh, we're going to try to get some more prospects on, some more um, coaches on, hopefully, some other people from around the CFB world to – Help us kind of fill in some of these episodes in the offseason. So if there's somebody you would like to see us talk to, let us know on uh, social media. I'm at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. And then, of course, we have G5 Football Daily on Instagram and TikTok. Eric, where can people find you on social media? You can find me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Eric C. Henry underscore. Find my coverage of the Texas Longhorns. And that's in the offseason. Pretty much just college football in general. At that same Twitter account, also horns247.com, cbssports.com, cbsportshq, and last but not least, 247sports.com. <laughs> College football is year-round, all the hours in the day, every day of the week. Uh, we're going to try to do our best to bring you the G5 side on Fan Nation Network. Happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you again very soon.